This podcast is recorded in Australia, on the traditional lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I wish to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and give thanks to the knowledge they have shared. Hello and welcome to Moments of Change. My name is Melody Raymond and I'm a social designer based in Sydney, Australia and currently a director at the Australian Centre for Social Innovation. Moments of Change is a podcast dedicated to exploring the moments that we learn from as we seek to design and cultivate positive social change. In this episode, I speak with Shanti Matthews, Deputy Director of Public Policy Lab, a non-profit innovation lab based in New York. Shanti's mission is to use collective power to build better lives through government. She shares with me her passion and experience in partnering effectively to bring communities into policy design, transform service systems and pilot new social programs. She has led work with the New York City Administration of Children's Services, the Department of Education, the Department of Homeless Services and the US Department of Veterans Affairs, among many other public interest organisations. I hope you enjoy this episode of Moments of Change. Shanti Matthews, welcome to Moments of Change. Thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. Shanti, let's start off. Can you describe what your current role is at the Public Policy Lab and how you're seeking to create positive social change? Sure, absolutely. So the Public Policy Lab, let me start there, is a nonprofit innovation lab for government. We're based in New York City and we work with government agencies on redesigning social policy and social service delivery. We are a nonprofit. And as far as we know, we were the first nonprofit innovation lab specifically for government Mm -hmm. in the United States, founded about 10 years ago. And we are a nonprofit because we work uh, with low income and disadvantaged communities and the government programs or public services that serve them. So my job at PPL is the deputy director. So, you know, It's awesome and it's a fancy title, but of course, at a small organization, (laughs) it also means you do a lot of things. So my job uh, is split between working with our project teams, most specifically with our project managers, our project leads on sort of giving strategic oversight and supporting them in project management stuff, being a face for our project teams with our project partners or our our government Mm. partners. And then I do a bunch of operational or organizational stuff. So overall organizational strategy with our executive director, splitting operational tasks with her. I do things like hiring people and making sure our newsletter goes out Mm. um, and looking at cash flow and resourcing these sorts of things. So I get to I get to do a lot of different things, which is really uh, interesting for me. So how has your view of your purpose evolved over your career to see you at the public policy lab now? Mm-hmm. I, you, fr- from a very young age, I had a sense that my life was connected to others. There are sort of plenty of stories that I could tell about little Shanti <laughs> <laughs> trying to make a difference. You know, partly that was because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the child of immigrants. I saw different cultures at a very early age. I grew up in the city of Chicago. 
So I saw a lot of the world from an early age, mm. and I had a, a pretty intuitive sense that my life was connected to others and the ways the ways that we treated each other or behaved or acted with each other had a had a real impact on where we were able to get in life. And I think as I I studied I studied uh, in undergrad sociology, religious studies and philosophy because I was really interested in humans. I've always really been interested in humans, but I've always really been interested in humans and how we function together. Right. That was the real thing about sociology for me. It was like, how do actually I was I was super curious about groups of humans and how we made decisions together, how we decided to live together. And then what happened when those decisions seemed to have some negative effects or some of mm -hmm. the agreements that we had made with each other broke down. So all of that was super interesting to me. And I think at the outset of my career, I was very much interested in doing sort of mission-driven work, whatever that meant. I, I don't think, I, I sort of always say, is that, say this, I don't think that mission-driven work is the only way to like make an impact in the world or to like live a good life. It is how I choose, I have chosen, I should say this, it's so far how I've chosen to spend my nine to five because it's important to me and it's, it's fun and motivating for me, but I don't think it's the only mm -hmm. way. So early on in my career, I, I was interested in doing some, doing work that had what I saw as positive social impact. I think over the years, my definition of that, or perhaps where I see what I call or describe my purpose has both narrowed and expanded, perhaps right. like sort of moving forward from there. I sort of working with nonprofits, mm -hmm. community foundations, these sort of things, but somewhere around my mid twenties, when I was in grad school, I woke up to the fact that government was an institution and is a set of incredibly influential structures that are all around us all the time. And it was like, somehow I had missed the fact that, oh, government is actually the largest provider of social services in our country. And, oh, actually, the, the way that we structure our collective life is through public action. It's through politics. It's through policies, right? It's through our public services. So, I don't exactly know how I figured that out. Uh, in all transparency, I think it had a lot to do with The West Wing. I was like a little too young when The West Wing was originally on TV, but I started watching it not that long after. And I don't know that I've really told anyone that, but I think a lot of public servants. <laughs> Everyone knows now. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of public servants around, like sort of in my generation or, or a little bit older, mm -hmm. were like, yeah, I like entered into public service because of The West Wing. Anyway. So I, I, I <laughs> so I discovered that government was a thing. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and so as I moved forward, I really fell in love with government as an institution. Like mm. I, I, I think government is incredible and amazing, and I truly believe in it as uh, a means of collective decision making and mm. life organizing, life structuring. So coming to public policy lab was an opportunity to really focus my work's attention on government systems and real practicalities and operations and experiences of public services. I've, you know, similarly seen myself slot more into a good niche for me, which is as a person who loves systems and structures and 
organizing how humans work together with resources and time and money to get things done. I found myself in more operational, organizational, strategic and management roles. And that's been a good, that's a good fit for me. It's like, where do you position, where do you position yourself in a system for the change you want to make in terms of, okay, what company do I go work for? Or do I work in the public sector, the private sector? Do I work for a foundation, right? And then within an organization, within a business to say, okay, what actually is is a good role for me here? How do I fit into the system that is this organizational entity? And how do I fit my skill sets into the mission of this, this organization? So I found that. So that's the narrowing. And then to mm. get to the expansion, I think my my view of my purpose has not has not diminished. I will say the the more that I do this work, the more realistic I am about how hard it is to make change in systems, especially in public sector systems, which have very good reasons to stay static. Oh, but so I I, I feel like I've gotten a. Uh, my re- my respect grows sort of healthier and healthier for how hard the work is mm. as time goes on and i become more and more sort of practical about what can get done in a given time frame but man do i think my sense of purpose has expanded right like my whole deal is i'm like listen we get we get some time on this earth and mm-hmm. i want to i want to leave it better than i found it I want to I want to build a good life for myself. I want to be happy. I want to nurture and love and support the people that I'm blessed to call my people. And man, do I want my kids and my grandkids to have it better, right? Like yeah. you know, and man, I want to <laughs> be a part of our collective, our collective growth as societies, right? Like mm-hmm. I actually want to I do the work I do because I want more and more people to have more and more of a chance to flourish. That's what I want. And that, as I do the work, that is the vision that actually keeps expanding and that I believe in more and more. So at, at Public Policy Lab, you know, there is a bringing together and a meeting together of minds. And I'm always interested in how do those different meetings of those minds come together and how do those different perspectives come together? You know, mm-hmm. I, I know you have uh, an array of backgrounds, in, including yourself there, mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm always interested in from a design perspective is this meeting of politics and power mm-hmm. into a design space where you're needing to design with systems, you know, often with bureaucracy, mm-hmm. uh, with a full awareness of the politics at play and the power at play. Can you talk yeah. to me a bit about how you sort of see those meldings of those different elements come together for you in the work that you do? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think there there are a couple things to talk about here, to reflect on here. So one is the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, I really see Public Policy Lab's job or sort of one of one of our jobs is to be a bridge is to be a bridge between large bureaucratic entities and individual human beings. And that's why we use human-centered design methods, because we think that those are a set of methods that makes it, that actually makes it possible 
for for large or for large entities to engage with individual humans mm-hmm. and learn something from in- individual humans that can be actionable back up there in the giant bureaucratic entity. But the fact that Public Policy Lab, we exist to work with low-income and disadvantaged communities. Those are the the services that we work on, we work with. And so when we are being that bridge, we are actually working at extreme power differentials. Mm -hmm. So it is our job, I think, to go out into the world to walk into homeless shelters, to walk into public schools, to walk into people's homes, and to really act actively mitigate against our own power as humans who represent the public policy lab or mm. who are working on a project with the Department of Homeless Services or the you know Administration for Children's Services or whoever. Right? Like we bear a set, we bear certain power and it is our job as those who have more power to mitigate mitigate against that so that we can go and actually learn from people who, socially speaking, have much less power than we do. Mm. So there's a, there's a set of things about that. And then we actually need to sort of painfully be really honest about the fact that what we're doing is extracting knowledge. We're extracting experiences. We're extracting value from people with who, who have less power than we do. So that we can then turn around and do a bunch of stuff with it as experts, quote experts, and then walk into places like the New York City's mayor's office or the you know municipal administrative building, Department of Homeless Services, and walk into rooms and halls where people have way more power than we do. And we have to then find a way to say, hey, we've got news from you. <laughs> we've got news for you. News yeah. from people over there who are disempowered, right? And so I think this question of, of power is super interesting and it's present all the time, whether we acknowledge it or not. So we have a, we have a set of practices, I think, on both of those sides of the spectrum for sort of mitigating our own power and also getting more power, <laughs> where we need to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that we've, that we've really evolved and learned to employ over the years of doing this work. Mm. You mentioned extractive, extracting value. And I think that's something that I'm often really conscious of is how not to be extractive in the, in undertaking research with people and with communities that, you know, you are, you are being given a gift about their life and about their experiences and often that's really painful Mm. you know how do you how do you avoid not being extractive in in those situations in your practice and and give back power through these experiences that you're creating in the way that you interact with people yeah I think I think one one thing we can start by doing is by acknowledging and admitting and living with the fact that we can never be 100% non-extractive. Interesting. Yeah. I think there's some stuff that we, we have to live with and we have to carry so that we take the appropriate steps so that there's urgency, right. In 
protecting people as much as we can. I do think there are things that we can do and the things that we do. We, we've thought a lot. I know you have thought about this, Mel, but we thought a lot about our consent process yeah. um, and how we design a consent process that is not primarily about protecting us as an organization, but that's protecting our respondent. Mm. That's really about explicitly and very clearly exp- talking about what are the, the rewards and the risks of engaging yeah. with us and getting pretty uh, dis- like discreet about how we do consent. Like mm-hmm. you can consent to, we, we have a whole set of questions that are like, can we take notes while we talk? Yes or no. Can we take an audio recording while we talk? Yes or no. Could we take a photo of you where your face cannot be seen? Yes or no. May we take a photo of you, take photos of you where your face can be seen? Mm. Yes or no, right? Mm. We actually, we allow people to be pretty fine grained in what they agree to. We uh, happily let people, I mean, stop at any point, of course. We also, was I going to say about stop at any point? Oh, we you know, at the end of an engagement, we'll ask folks if there's anything that they want us to essentially strike from the record. Mm. <laughs> um, when we take photos, we let people look at the photos that we've taken and delete the ones that they don't want us to keep. Yeah. You know, we, in terms of value add, we really believe in compensating people for their time. Like if, if we're engaging with members of the public, we are paying them. Mm-hmm. For their time, because we believe their time is valuable. We often do that through gift cards. That's been a, sort of a way that has worked for us. We also have had some nice experiences with offering people a nice photograph of themselves mm-hmm. and sending, like, so taking actually like, taking sort of like a headshot or a nice photo of them in the context of their home or their workplace. And people have, a lot more people than I expected have said, yes, I'd like that. So yeah, so some so some things like that. There's oh. something quite nice about also just giving back the information. I find that yeah. you know so much uh, of the processes that are employed to understand people's lives in the way that it is extracting stories and knowledge is is how do you make sense of that and give that back to people yes. as as a tool for information to understand, you know, what are their community needs or, you know, as something valuable that in terms of their life story that they could pass on if it was an interview. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but, you know, also giving them the right of refusal when you give it back to them and say, did we hear you? Right. Did we hear you? Right. right. You know, is, yeah. It, it, have we interpreted what you're saying? Yeah. It, it is, is how you meant it. Yeah. Um, There's a lot a of way. A- there's yeah. a lot of accountability that comes when you actually have to put your slide deck or your report or your design mm. products in front of people who, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whose voices are there, who influence it, yeah. who made it with you, right? Like, and I think that's, I think that's important. Yeah, we're, we're trying to explore more and more about how we can, I mean, get rid of even more of our power, right? So I think the other thing to talk about with power is that I like to say that the the road from design to implementation, whatever you're designing or trying to get done in the world is politics. So mm. just having a good idea or or saying that something is better, well it's a it's a better way of doing it. It's a better thing. Better is not enough to make change mm. in the world. 
you actually have to convince people to change their behavior. And that mm-hmm. actually is the work of politics, because the way that we do that in the public sector, that negotiation and choosing and selection in a public space is actually what the work of politics should be. And that's how you, I think, make real change in the world at any scale. So Shanti, tell us about the moment of change that you wish to share with us today. What's that moment where you look back and you you realize that something has shifted in the project or the program or the relationships that you were building uh, and tell us a bit you know how did how did that happen mm-hmm. I thought of some work that we are in the process of doing with the Department of Homeless Services here in New York City I it is no secret that I love them <laughs> I love our partners <laughs> with whom we work there And I remember it was somewhere between, it was like between phase one and phase two of this project. There was some Mm. initial work that was, okay, let's go and let's do some more exploratory stuff and let's figure out, uh, we're supposed to look specifically at how different shelters, shelter facilities were supporting clients in looking for securing and moving out to permanent housing and essentially right. what were the what were best practices across the system and how could we codify those and mm-hmm. spread those around essentially through formal means by doing a bunch of different stuff in the system so there was a phase 1 of that work in which we emerged with an initial theory of like okay here's a new service model that staff at hundreds of shelters across the city could start enacting. Here are some prototypes of tools that is going to help them do that, make behavior change. Here are some policy recommendations that we're making, et cetera, et cetera. And then we had a pause. So this work was funded by a private philanthropy. And so I think we just we just ha- had a pause in funding. And so we stayed you know, with our partners to do some lightweight admin and planning, but we just had like a few months of downtime. So I was, I had stepped away from the project during that time a bit. I was just less involved. And so I showed up then to the phase two kickoff session and I'm sitting next to some, you know, some of one of my favorite buddies over at the Department of Homeless Services. And in this meeting, someone is like, oh, well, you know, yeah, well, we're, you know, that thing, we're like doing that as part of that thing, like insert government acronyms here. And I was like, mm, what's that? I been working with you for months. What is that? <laughs> like, oh, it's our new training curriculum for all staff. It's our new model of practice. What? <laughs> and then, okay, great. And so then after the meeting, I turn and my uh, my buddy from Department of Homeless Services, I love to joke with him because he loves to like show me his diagrams. And he like, slides over. He like loves when the design team comes because he's like, ooh, people who like my diagrams. So he slides <laughs> the paper over to me and I'm like, are you about to show me a diagram? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm explaining this training curriculum to you. I was like, okay, cool, great. Tell me. And he starts explaining to me and I was like, excuse me, what is this content? Like, where did you, what is all of this? And he's like, well, it's like all the stuff that you guys discovered in phase one. We couldn't just like sit around for three months, like with all that knowledge and information and not do anything about it. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) And I just loved this moment because it was so, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. (laughs) It was was delightful. It was like, yeah, sure. Like pat on the back for our team. Like, oh, wow. Like we actually discovered really useful stuff and made really useful proposals. 
but also, mm. I mean, it just spoke to the the partnership that we have mm. with them. We're committed to working really closely with our government partners. And so it was amazing to realize that what we always hoped for was actually true. Like they were actually embodying the process and embodying the work with us, right? Mm -hmm. This is a person who was deeply involved in this project. And he wasn't the only one. There are lots of people who are deeply involved in the project. I think it's part of what makes has made this work so successful. And so it was a real testament to that. Like, oh, he owns this. We're not just some consultants here, mm. right? Like, this is this is their work. This is their culture change. This and this is their strategic work. So it was really exciting to see that. It was it was exciting to see that like that man. They just start like they just started implementing stuff. Mm. It was so cool. It was so cool. And you just don't get to, you don't often see that in government context. <laughs> um, or I always sort of thought about, and it's such an interesting uh, solution that they've come up with is, you know, when you go into these government spaces around a particular sort of problem uh, and the parameters that they put around the, 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 the problem space, is what what do you do with all the other information that you find out uh, and where do you let that flow? And from a design practice point of view, you know, there's something quite anxiety-inducing. You know, what do I do with all this other information that I yes. have to share because this is really important yes. stuff? Yes. But they don't want it in the report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's such an interesting uh, way to approach you know, right? We need to we need to talk about all of this other yeah. stuff and we share it with people. Yeah. You know, you spoke about the partnership there. How how is it that you, you know, what what do you think is important in how you set up a partnership to mm -hmm. really get that sort of collective working and that trust over time? Because undoubtedly, you will reveal things that are uncomfortable for yes. them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we do a few things here. One is that we have a very long, sort of very intentionally long scoping process with any potential partners. Right. So we spend a lot of time well before a project kicks off, like months of time before a project kicks off, in which we essentially get to date each other. We get to be a little casual and be like, so who should come to this date? <laughs> and what should we order? I like this thing. You like that. how would we build this meal together? You know. <laughs> so first, first off, it's that we have an incredibly intentional and collaborative scoping process because we believe so deeply in partnership, and we actually want to work with our partners to figure out. Okay, actually, what is this? What should this work be? What should it be about? Who should be at the table? So that's a thing, and. Mm -hmm. from the start and so so I guess that to say like we have very few projects now that kick off where we don't have good solid partnership in place where we don't we we spend that time essentially filtering out places with conditions that don't seem conducive to innovation or to good partnership we also call our our partners partners and not clients so we talk very explicitly with our partners that we are your partners and our client is the public. We have a mutual mm. client. So there's something about language there. What we do now is we 
have multiple levels of decision-making power represented by the agency on our project team. So we always make sure we get someone who has pretty like agency wide level decision making power or like over some Mm -hmm. business unit, essentially like an assistant commissioner, um, deputy mayor, something like that. We make sure we have someone who's, who's a key project sponsor, who's like over a particular program, right. Or operational unit. And then we have someone on the team who's really embedded with us on a sort of weekly or day-to-day basis, who's our main program point of contact. Mm. Um, And we found that really useful and successful. And we have different touch points that we've designed for each of those types of people over the course of a project life cycle. Oh, so we also, you know, we spend a bunch of that time not only getting uh, different levels of decision-making power on the project team, we also spend that what we call phase zero time saying, who are all the stakeholders here? Who is who is involved in this agency? Who's, whose power do we need? And how do we get them in this room? Mm-hmm. Like our mm-hmm. dream is to have the legal department at the table from the very beginning. Right. You know, because if there's anything, which is, I mean, everything <laughs> is going to have to go through some sort of legal review, get the lawyers mm-hmm. in the room right away. You know, have the people in the room who own the operational requirements and constraints and they 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 can embody and be a part of the work all the way through oh and then in terms of in terms of building trust i think i mentioned that we have sort of different touch points that we've designed for different levels of leadership over the mm. course of a project um, part of what being partners with us means is that we in normal times will invite you to our studio <laughs> and our partners are welcome anytime. And we're like, Hey, come to this synthesis session, come work with the team. We've got snacks, come eat some cookies and hang out with us and be here, be embedded in the work. We also invite our partners regularly out into the field with us. And we put them Mm -hmm. to work as note takers and as research support and design support out, out in the world. So we, we interact pretty closely with our with our partners mm-hmm. and we try to maintain really good clear communication with our partners and i think all of that all of that has really helped us build trust and i think doing good work mm-hmm. honestly having good work product do, doing things on time doing what you said you will do like being people of integrity and an organization of integrity that's what builds trust with people So Shanti, there's so many interesting learnings in what you've just shared uh, that are so applicable to other people in the work that they do. And we're coming to the end of the show. So before you go, what's that one wildly important goal over the next year in the work that you do that you might share with others? You know, we're in this really bizarre moment, I'm sure that everyone has noticed. And there's a, there's an there's like a massive social experiment happening. Mm. And on a very practical level, one of the the projects that we're launching with two New York City agencies actually right now has has pivoted pretty explicitly to COVID response. And our question there is a question that will probably be my big picture question for the next year, which is what, what has this emergency caused us to do overnight that we thought was impossible. <laughs> and what of that should we, what should we keep? 
right? What should we actually say? No, 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 this, that thing was emergency response, but that's actually a a better way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's a fine line there. Look, I have a lot of respect for rules and regulations, honestly, <laughs> and for, you know, I love bureaucracy. Okay, maybe not all bureaucracy, but I love bureaucracies. But this question of what what will we learn, right? Actually yeah. having, maybe it's not right now this second. Maybe it'll be in a few weeks. Maybe it'll be in a few months. But mm. this question of, okay, what are, what are we learning about the world and our social structures? What are we learning about what's actually possible? And can we can we give an intentional and thoughtful look to, oh, actually, it's better if folks don't have to show up in person for a public health program application mm, process. Mm. Maybe they could maybe they could just do it online. Maybe you could actually have your lactation session over video. Maybe you can go in person mm. if you want to, but maybe you don't have to. Yeah. You know? So I think those questions are going to be super interesting and there's going to be no shortage of them. Yeah. Because overnight everything has sort of turned on its head. So I'm I'm looking for I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to that and that's going to be a big question on my mind and I think driving our team in the next year. Shanti Matthews, thank you so much for coming on Moments of Change. Sure. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It's a delight. It's always a delight to see you, to talk with you. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to be a part of the conversation or the community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can request to join the Slack community and help shape future episodes, connect with other designers around the world, and join the newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our other podcasts, such as Getting Started in Design and Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion, Power of Ten with Andy Pallane, Decoding Culture with Dr. John Curran, ProdPod with Adrian Tan, Ethnopod with Jay Husbrook, Moments of Change with myself, Melanie Raymond, and Talking Shop, our community podcast.